It's a master plan of Jesus himself. When he was on earth, he could be in one place at one time, right? But when he died, rose again, went back to heaven, he sent us the Holy Spirit, and now the Holy Spirit can form Jesus in each one of us. And now Jesus can be in millions of places, millions of churches, doing millions of great works. We continue with uh, the subject, What is my spiritual gift? Tonight is part four. Uh, we have done three Wednesdays now, and we've looked at two spiritual gifts uh, each Wednesday. So three lessons so far, two, four, six. Tonight is lesson four, so that means two more, eight. And there are 11 in total. Ephesians chapter 4. And let's read together verses 7 and 8 out loud. You may keep your seats as we read. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And of course this passage speaks of the spiritual gifts that the Lord has given us. We've spent a lot of weeks on spiritual gifts looking at the temporary ones and we spent a number of weeks looking at tongues because I want you to know that the modern day tongues movement is not biblical. It's not a gift for today. There were several temporary gifts that were important in the first number of years as the church was getting going. And uh, the gift of tongues was used of God to witness to the Jews, telling them of coming destruction. After 70 AD, when the Romans pretty much destroyed the um, um, Jewish nation, sacked Jerusalem and all, Jerusalem, uh, Israel ceased to be a nation. Historically, there's no more tongues after that. It stopped. It stopped. And you'll only find them dotted throughout the last 2,000 years of church history spoken by cultish kind of groups. Uh, bear in mind that the phenomena of ecstatic babble is something that's not confined to Christian circles, uh, but all over the world, um, almost in every hemisphere, you'll find some kind of group under some kind of name that is practicing the ecstatic babble. Um, now, We've uh, given you the list before. I just want to quickly run through it once more. There are 11 permanent gifts that are still in effect even today. And I'll just run through the list. And we've dealt with six of these. Uh, ministry, exhortation, giving, ruling, mercy, teaching, helps, government, faith, evangelism, and pastoring. And the six we've dealt with so far are ministry, giving, teaching, helps, faith, and pastoring. So, um, that, that's six. There's five left. The five are exhortation, ruling, mercy, government, and evangelism. And so tonight, we're going to look at two more of those that are left. There's five left. We're going to look at two tonight the spiritual gifts of exhortation and evangelism. As we do, of course, please be uh, considering, looking to learn, looking to see if you are gifted in those areas. 
And it's really not that hard to uh, determine spiritual gifts. It really isn't. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gifts that you've given us. And truly, most all Christians have uh, several gifts. We all have at least one. But most of us seem to have two or three, maybe even four, uh, spiritual gifts. And we thank you so much for them. And please help us to use them to encourage others in the church and to serve you. And Lord, help us also to learn from the gifted Christians around us. Please make us more like Jesus. So, Lord, please bless now our study. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn back to the book of Romans, chapter number 12. Romans, chapter number 12. In this verse number 8, there are four gifts listed. We're just going to look at the first one mentioned. It says, Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. That's the fourth uh, gift listed. There are seven gifts listed here in the book of Romans. And that's number four in verse 8. The gift of exhortation. The spiritual gift of exhortation is the supernatural ability to encourage and comfort and admonish and entreat people. I'll repeat that. It's a supernatural ability to encourage, to comfort, to admonish and entreat people. The word exhort literally means to urge out, almost like a, a pulling out or a, a squeezing out, if you will, to urge out. And the idea of the word, it means to thoroughly encourage someone to do something or thoroughly encourage them to believe something. So in the context of the, the local church, exhortation is the ability to help others to do the will of God. That's probably the best way to describe the gift of exhortation. It's to help others to do the will of God. Now, let's look at some examples of this. If you turn back a few pages to the book of Acts, chapter number 11. Acts chapter 11. Uh, let's see here. So uh, we pick up here in verse 22. It says, Tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch. Verse 23, Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, now look, and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave, that means like to stick like glue, they would cleave, unto the Lord. <laughs> this word cleave is an interesting word because the same spelling, the same word can mean to stick like glue or it can mean to chop in two, like to divide. So it's a kind of a weird kind of English word, but uh, you know by context. So here the idea is to stick like glue. And so here we have uh, a, a good biblical example of exhortation, to thoroughly urge and encourage and uh, entreat God's people to do the will of God. Um, let's look at another example of this. If you turn to the right to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians and chapter number 2. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And of course, the book of Thessalonians was written to the church at Thessalonica, and it was written by the Apostle Paul. And we come to chapter 2 and verse 11. And Paul writes, As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. There's a good analogy, a good example. A loving father would encourage and entreat. He would exhort his children in a loving way uh, to do the right thing. That's what good fathers do. They try and encourage their children to do the right thing. And what Paul was saying was that, hey folks, you remember when I was with you there in Thessalonica and that time I spent with you and, and I encouraged you, I exhorted you like a loving father would his children. So if you look at verse 11 again, and how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you. And the idea was he was encouraging them to do the will of God, to do the will of God. If you look at chapter 5 of Thessalonians, you'll see this again. Chapter number 5. Now, he's sort of asking them now in chapter 5 to do for others what he did for them. And so in verse 14, he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. Now he's still exhorting them like a loving father would to his children, but you kind of get the flavor here that he's asking them now to start doing this themselves amongst, uh, amongst themselves there at the church. So again, uh, warn them that are unruly. That's the idea of insubordinate, insubordinate. And yes, that happens in local churches. Uh, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. So there's a good, a good verse there that helps us understand uh, the idea of exhorting. You needn't turn there, but I wrote down a couple more. I'll just read them for you. In Titus chapter 2, verse 9, exhort servants to be obedient unto their masters, their own masters, and to please them well in all things. The idea in today's context would be the employee. We would exhort employees to be obedient to their employers. And there are so many, many employees that are not obedient. They're not doing what they're getting paid to do. Uh, instead of, if they're paid for a, a half-hour lunch break, they're taking 45 minutes. They're not paid to steal things from the company, yet many of them walk home with company property in their pockets. Some of them get in late. Some of them leave early. Some of them goof off when they should be at work. And the exhortation here, the encouragement, if you will, the admonition, the entreaty is to, uh, to serve the, uh, the, the masters, the employers, and to please them well. Also in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, Paul wrote, Exhort one another daily. Here's a ministry for all of us. Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now here's something we have to be reminded of once in a while, is that sin is deceitful. I know we live in a very intelligent age, 
And we like to think of ourselves as very educated. And in many ways we are. In many ways we're far more advanced than our forefathers. However, when it comes to spiritual things and moral things, quite often our forefathers were more advanced than we are today. They, they seem, as we read about their lives, they seem as if they were further ahead as, as believers, as Christians, than we are today. They seem to be more faithful, more willing, more prayerful. Um, where are the prayer giants today? You know, it seems like they've died out uh, from a few generations ago. So, uh, sin is deceitful. There's a deceitfulness of sin. There's also the weakness of human flesh. You get the two of them together, and we've got defeated Christians. Weak human flesh, deceitfulness of sin. You marry those two together, and that's a recipe for disaster for the Christian life anyhow. So we're always in a constant need of exhortation. That's what I'm saying. This gift is very important in the local church. It was so important back then. It's so important today. It's important that we understand that all of us, no matter how advanced we are or how intelligent we may be, we still need to be exhorted. We need this ministry of exhortation to encourage us to keep living our lives for Jesus. Because let's face it, folks, there's a lot of prosperity in the world today. And prosperity tempts us away from trust in Christ. If all of a sudden uh, there was a million dollars deposited to your bank account, all of a sudden you woke up tomorrow morning and there was a million or ten million dollars in your bank account, well now you don't need faith. You've got money. What do you need faith for? What do you need to trust in God for your daily bread? Give us this day our daily bread. Huh, thanks, Lord. I'm good. Give it to someone else. I'm loaded. We don't need to have a day-by-day -day trust if we have all of this prosperity, wealth. Now, God does give blessing. He does meet our needs and give us more. But I don't believe that it's the will of God to give every Christian everywhere excessive wealth. I don't believe that. Because there's a strong temptation and because of our human weakness and because of, you know, deceitfulness of sin, we'll give into that temptation and we'll stop trusting in our Heavenly Father. It's when things go on the, the needy side, that's when we tend to reach out to God more. But now we've got the other extreme, if you will, and that's times of big trouble, big trouble. And during times of big trouble, we can be um, discouraged from trusting in God. We can get real blue and down in the mouth and say, Oh, what's the use? What's the use in praying? What's the use in trying? You see, uh, Job went through a, a measure of that, didn't he? Why? Because of human weakness, we all have it, and because of the deceitfulness of sin. That's why Paul wrote in Hebrews... Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. The gift of exhortation constantly reminds us of God's love and of God's power to meet our needs. And it encourages us to faithfully live our lives for Him. 
Now, how do you know if you have the gift of exhortation? Because there are Christians out there that have this gift. How do you know if you have the gift of exhortation? Well, I suggest to you that you yourself will be trying to follow the Lord closely. This will be a great desire, a great purpose in your life. Whereas for others, they may have to be, you know, constantly prodded and encouraged and so on. You, you don't kind of need that. You've got it built in. You seem to be able to, to go and keep on going, you know, in your daily walk with Him. Not that you're sinless. Not that you don't experience any uh, ups and downs and discouragements. No, not at all. You experience them true. Uh, uh, truly as, as, as the rest of us. If you fall, you bump and you get bruised. If you get cut, you'll bleed. You're just as human and normal as we all are. But you have a spiritual gift that seems to be able to buoy you up. You know, when you fall in the water, your head always comes up above water. This is sort of part of the gift of, of exhortation. Um, you're wanting to live your life day by day for the Lord. You're burdened that other Christians do the same thing. You want to see others live their lives. You'll have much joy. Now, this is another little telltale. You'll have much joy in personal Bible reading and prayer. Some Christians struggle with that. You know, they kind of, oh, I don't know. What does it mean? A little boring, so on. People with the gift of exhortation, they seem to have a hunger and thirst to want to read more scripture and to want to pray. And again, they'll have their days of ups and downs. They will. But in the overall scheme of things, they're kind of a bit of a go-getter in living their life for the Lord. And they're burdened to see others around them. Now, often people that have the gift of exhortation also have the gift of faith. Remember, we studied faith. Faith that can see the promises of God. Faith that can sort of look through some of the problems of this life and see the great promises of Almighty God. And often those two gifts go together. And of course, other godly people in the church will tend to see this gift of exhortation in you. Now the second gift we want to look at is in the book of Ephesians. So if you would turn back to the left, to the book of Ephesians and chapter number 4. Now the second gift we're going to look at is evangelism. And I want to tell you straight up that this gift... Um, tell you what, let's just get on with the, the lesson here and it, it'll come clearer as we go through the lesson, okay? It's in chapter number 4 and we come to verse number 11. Um, so, it says here, and he gave, remember we looked at the gifts uh, in verse 7 and 8, we, we started here, right? At the beginning of the the message tonight we started in chapter 4 verses 7 and 8 he gave gifts unto men so now we're in verse 11 and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and the last ones are pastors and teachers apostles and prophets are no longer here they died out in the first century 
They were foundational to the church. The Lord Jesus, the chief cornerstone, because Christ died on the cross. His great sacrifice, death, burial, and resurrection forms the cornerstone of our faith. We're not still laying the cornerstone. Christ is not still dying on the cross for us. He did it once, once for all. The apostles and prophets are not around anymore. We only needed them once to get the church established. These other ones are still around today. Evangelism, pastoring, and teaching. And we've, we've looked at pastor and teacher uh, in weeks gone by. Now we're looking at this one here, evangelism. Evangelism is the spiritual gift of effectively sharing the gospel with the unsaved. Something you probably already knew. That's what evangelism is. Now the word evangelism, just so we understand technically what this word means, but it means the telling or to tell the good news. Technically, that's what evangelism is all about. Telling the good news. Years ago, decades ago, there was a popular movement to try to replace that. And it was called lifestyle evangelism. And lifestyle evangelism, the thrust of lifestyle evangelism was just live a good life before people. Let them, let them see how good and honest you are and that will draw them to Jesus. I'm all for living a, a good life. I believe in that. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The words of Jesus. So I believe in living a good, proper lifestyle. But it does make it makes no substitution for actually telling the gospel. The word gospel is the good news. Evangelism means to tell the good news. In our context, what we're referring to is salvation. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of salvation. It literally forms the gospel. No one can be saved unless they understand that the Messiah Jesus died for them, was buried and rose again. If they think that Jesus died but didn't rise from the dead, he, they can't be saved. They need that basic understanding which even a child can understand. You say, how is that? It's because the Lord gives the gift of faith to people so they can be saved. So this is basically what evangelism is. People with the gift of evangelism tend, not always, but tend to enter full-time ministry. People who've been gifted with evangelism so that they're able to see others get saved tend to become the evangelists, the pastors, and the, the missionaries. Hmm? Not always, but there are many, many lay people within churches around the world that have the gift of evangelism. But a lot of these ones feel a full-time call to God's service. And they get involved. They say, man, I want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to help people come to know Christ. I want to uh, be used of God in this wonderful way. I want to shine as the stars, you know, forever sort of thing. Uh, so the spiritual gift of evangelism can be seen in people's lives. Let's take our Bibles and turn back to the book of Acts. And we'll look at um, a few examples there. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. 
And let's look here. We've got the Apostle Peter preaching. And uh, in verse 41, Acts 2.41, he's preaching to them the gospel, you see. And it says, And they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So the church grew in one day by 3,000 people. Can you imagine the logistical problems we'd have if 3,000 people got saved and want to come to church? How would we even baptize them? How do you baptize 3,000 people? You do it one at a time, 3,000 baptisms. If each baptism were to take three minutes, why, that's 9,000 minutes. You mathematicians, how many hours would the church service last? Well, I did a wee bit of math, and um, I figured that if all 12 of the apostles were doing baptizing, there'd be 250 people to baptize each. And if they could somehow baptize each one in a minute, there was four hours of baptizing, 12 baptisms every minute. And you can get 3,000 done in four hours. That's the only way I can figure it. But... Um, if the Lord got 3,000 people saved as a result of our soul winning and our ministry and seed sowing and praying, folks, we'd figure it out somehow. We'd go down to the Fraser River. We'd get a conveyor belt. We'd do something to uh, help these people. So it's just interesting when you start thinking about that. Now, how do you handle that, that kind of church growth? But here we can see evangelism in the Apostle Peter. He preached this great sermon and he was able to lead 3,000 people to the Lord. Isn't that something? All right, let's go to chapter 11. Chapter number 11 of Acts and uh, we come to verse, um, yeah, let's see here, verse 22, of course, uh, we have Barnabas. And Barnabas, remember, verse 23, we just looked at this. He came and exhorted the people. In verse 23. And look at verse 24. For he, Barnabas, was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Now watch. And much people was added unto the Lord. So it would seem that Barnabas not only had the gift of exhortation, but he had the, uh, the gift of evangelism as well. It looks like it here. We don't have any reason to doubt. Now, if you go to chapter 16, you'll see someone else that seemed to have the gift of Evangelism, chapter number 16, and verse number 14. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple. By the way, that was an expensive product back then. And she was a businesswoman here in the city of Thyatira, and then she came to Philippi. And uh, she was a, a woman of some means. She had some wealth. She had household servants and so on. She was a business lady. Uh, it says here, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, and her household, so she got saved, and her household, they all got saved, and it was because of Paul's preaching. And if you look also here at verse 31, we have Paul in prison. Well, verse 30 is the famous one. The jailer said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And verse 34, 
And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. So here's the Apostle Paul, who also seemed to have the gift of evangelism. And of course, he was maybe the world's greatest missionary. Remember I mentioned earlier that often these people that seem to have the gift of evangelism, they tend to want to go into full-time service, doing this with their lives for the rest of their life, winning people to Christ. If you go to chapter 21, you'll see another person here that seemed to have the gift of evangelism. And he was a deacon. He was a deacon. In Acts chapter 21, and we come to uh, verse number uh, 8. And the next day we were of Paul's company, we that were of Paul's company, departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist. So here was the deacon. This is the same Philip from Acts chapter 6. Remember the, the seven deacons that were appointed to help figure out and solve the food distribution ministry back in Jerusalem. Philip was one of those. And he was given the gift of evangelism. He's called an evangelist. So I kind of think he had the gift of evangelism. So that's interesting here. Philip, the deacon, is also an evangelist. But now I want to I show you something that I thought was interesting. Um, if you turn to the right to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. Paul's writing this letter to Timothy. They, they sort of call this 2 Timothy Paul's swan song. Because the, they say that when a swan is about to die, it lifts up its head and makes beautiful sounds and then it dies. The Apostle Paul died shortly after writing the book of 2 Timothy and it's a gorgeous book. Absolutely wonderful. You can really see his heart in this 2 Timothy. So they call it Paul's swan song. So in chapter number 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, Paul is um, exhorting his uh, understudy and um, it's Timothy. And Timothy was the pastor in Ephesus at this time. And he writes in verse, uh, verse 5, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. And watch what he says here. Do the work of an evangelist. It suggests that Timothy didn't have the gift of evangelism. It was one of the gifts that Timothy did not have. And Paul was encouraging him, well, Pretend you're an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. You know what an evangelist does. You go ahead and you do that. So it suggests that Timothy did not have the gift of evangelism. And that's no surprise because there are a lot of pastors in good churches, good pastors the world over, do not have the gift of evangelism. They have other gifts. Pastors have to have the gift of teaching. They need to be Teachers, that's one of the qualifications to be a pastor. Apt to teach. So there needs to be a, a good, strong teaching ministry for a pastor because they're, they're feeding the flock. They're feeding the Word of God to God's people. So there needs to be that teaching aspect, but not necessarily the gift of evangelism. 
Now, of course, without evangelism, without the gift of evangelism, the church would have died on its first birthday. Without the gift of evangelism, people wouldn't be getting saved. Evangelism is what perpetuates the church and keeps it going and growing from generation to generation. Evangelism is the heartbeat of missions. It's the heartbeat of God himself. You see, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, how will that happen? That's where evangelism comes in. Praise the Lord that you're here tonight and you're saved. Praise the Lord for the person who helped you to get saved. Praise the Lord for the person to help them get saved. We all know about the great evangelist D.L. Moody. He went, you know, around the world. It's estimated he led a million souls to Christ. Evangelist D.L. Moody. Well, the man who led D.L. Moody to Christ did not have the gift of evangelism. D.L. Moody was an evangelist and had this gift powerfully. But the man, his name was Kimball, he was the Sunday school teacher, and Moody was a 17-year-old boy or something, or 16-year-old boy, coming to his Sunday school class. And Mr. Kimball was burdened for Moody's salvation. But Kimball himself didn't have the gift of evangelism, but he had the burden for it. And he determined he was going to win this young Moody to Jesus. Moody was working at, in a, a boot and, and shoe store at the time. That's the job he had. Uh, Kimball went to the store and then turned around and walked away. He chickened out. He said, oh, no, I got to do this. And he went back to the store and he ended up pacing the sidewalk up and down outside the shoe store for a while so finally, he managed to get up enough gumption, enough nerve. He just walked in the store, walked right to the back, right into the employee section and turned. And there was Moody on his knees, putting shoes on the shelf. And Kimball thought, oh, good, he's on his knees. And so he, he got down beside Moody and led Moody to Christ. Now, Moody had heard the gospel. Kimball made sure of it in the Sunday school class. But Kimball didn't have the gift of evangelism. But he led to Christ, the young guy who would become one of the world's greatest evangelists. You see, if it wasn't for evangelism, the church would have died 2,000 years ago. How do you know if you have the gift of evangelism? How do you know? Well, actually, this is one of the few gifts that becomes obvious early in your Christian life. No one has to tell you. You just seem to know it's there. You've got this desire, this burden to see people saved around you. And you'll start looking upon people as either saved and not saved and saved and not saved and saved and not saved. And you'll be praying for the not saved and you'll be probably trying to get training and take courses on evangelism and read books. Maybe you'd come to Soul Winners Academy, huh? You'd have this great burden to see people saved. You may even want to dedicate your life to this great, glorious job, this task. There's no joy greater for the Christian than to be right there when someone gets saved. 
It's the finest joy. I, I know something about this. I, I wish that I had the gift of evangelism like D.L. Moody had the gift of evangelism. But I have the burden of evangelism, that I know. I've been able to lead a number of people to Christ over the years of my ministry. And if I had to choose between preaching or leading someone to Christ, I'd choose leading someone to Christ. To me, there's a whole lot more joy in there. And I've been there with people when they've prayed, asking the Lord to forgive their sins and come into their heart. And they open their eyes and they just seem to be a whole different person. And I've been there when that's happened. And so I know a little bit about this. But of course, godly people will see the burden, the desire in you. They'll see that in you. You'll have a great desire to see people want to come to Jesus through various soul-winning means and methods, putting gospel tracts in mailboxes or knocking on a door and uh, trying to see if there's a spiritual interest and in giving a Bible study. Now, I hasten to say this, that although some people do have this heaven-sent, wonderful, spiritual gift of evangelism, there are many Christians in churches around the world that have caught the vision. They have the burden to see people saved. They've developed a love in their heart for lost souls. They're actively engaged in evangelism. In Acts chapter 11, verse 20, it speaks of people just like that. It says, And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, the city of Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. These weren't missionaries, pastors, and evangelists. These were ordinary Christians. They got into Antioch, but they had the burden. And they could see all these lost, unsaved people. And they thought, we've got to do something about this. And they started to witness to them. Now, it's been my personal observation down through the years that not many Christians have this actual spiritual gift of evangelism. But listen, we honestly don't need that many. We don't need that many people with that actual gift. And the reason I say that is because it only takes one match to light a big fire. Right? That's all it takes. You don't need a lot of people in a local church with the gift of evangelism. As I said earlier, a lot of these people tend to give their lives full-time service. They want to be pastors and missionaries and evangelists. They want to do this. And so off they go. They start in the local church, but then the local church later sends them out and they do great work for God. But within the local church, you usually find a couple of people that have the gift of evangelism. And what they do is they inspire the rest of us. We see it in them. We hear the testimonies. The Lord uses that to get a fire going inside of us. That's why we need this spiritual gift of evangelism to spark the fire, you know, to, to light the fire of evangelism in, in the hearts of God's people. Now, it's also been my personal observation that Christians who get on fire for evangelism, you don't have to have the spiritual gift of evangelism to be an evangelist. 
You don't have to have that spiritual gift. You just need to catch the vision. Catch the fire. Every Christian, every Christian can catch this fire. Everyone. And it's been my personal observation down through the years that those Christians who get on the bandwagon with soul winning and evangelism, they're the ones that grow the fastest. Those are the ones who grow deeper and faster and do greater things for God than other Christians who really don't want to have anything to do with evangelism. They haven't caught the burden of the fire at all. They're more wanting to be involved with other things. They don't want to see other people saved. They don't want to get involved with that. And so it's been my personal observation to note that men and women who catch the vision, get the burden to see a lost city saved, these are the ones that seem to zoom and to really take off for the Lord. Um, It's my personal observation. Okay, we've got to finish things up. Both spiritual gifts of exhortation and evangelism help us to become more like our Savior. Remember, that's the whole bottom line here, is we want to become more like Jesus. It's a master plan of Jesus himself. When he was on earth, he could be in one place at one time, right? But when he died, rose again, went back to heaven, he sent us the Holy Spirit, and now the Holy Spirit can form Jesus in each one of us. And now Jesus can be in millions of places, millions of churches, doing millions of great works. That's why every one of us has a calling of God, Romans chapter 8, a calling of God to become more and more like Jesus. Exhortation and evangelism will greatly help us to become more like Jesus. And so we should not despise these gifts of exhortation. We should be thankful for evangelism and exhortation. We should be very thankful for it. Now remember, all Christians are supposed to apply themselves in all of these 11 spiritual gifts. Remember, don't ever make the mistake of thinking, well, I just have one spiritual gift and it's the gift of... um, uh, uh, You pick one, right? Yeah. I don't have the gift of evangelism, therefore I don't have to try and win any souls. I don't have the gift of giving, therefore I don't have to give a dollar. I don't have the gift of this or that, so I don't have to do any of those things. That is not the will of God. The will of God is for us to learn these things. Children growing up in a home, do they know how to cook their meals? Do they know how to to make their bed? Do they know how to be honest and work hard for a living? They don't know that. But they're supposed to learn those things off mom and dad. That's God's plan. The children growing up are supposed to learn these life qualities from mom and dad. So when they grow up, now they can do all these things. Likewise, in the local church, we're supposed to learn these 11 character qualities of Jesus so that we can be like him. So, one day you'll be exhorting someone to do the will of God. One day you'll be evangelizing some lost person and encouraging them to come to Jesus. We're all supposed to do it. Take advantage of our online ministry and look up the last uh, three Wednesdays that we dealt with spiritual gifts. There's six other spiritual gifts we dealt with. Look them up on our online ministry. Rewatch the sermons. It'll be a big blessing to you. Let's pray.
Now our Heavenly Father, thank you once again. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.